Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. I'm just aware that... uh, When I preached two weeks ago, there were some who were still away. And so I want to just do a very quick recap on on what I preached then, because it was the start of a series on prayer. What I looked at was the fact that prayer is actually, in essence, a two-way communication with God. My father used to say to me, and I could never work out why he kept telling me, but you have two ears and one mouth, and that's so you can listen twice as much as you talk. Uh, Perhaps I never got to grips with that one. But it's important that in our prayer life, we take time to listen to God and not just talk to him. And we talked about three levels of prayer that we go through in our Christian life before we get to a point where we can call prayer a pleasure. Because for many people, to use pleasure and prayer in the same sentence would feel like a contradiction. They find it's a duty or a chore or something they feel they ought to be doing. But can anyone remember what are the three levels that we go through? Oh, Eve took notes, you can tell, can't you? That's right. We talked about the fact that actually we start off when we're born again with an innate desire to pray. You might even say that we have it before we become Christians. Because actually, if you look at non-believers, they seem to have something in their life that recognises there's a gap, which is meant to be filled with a relationship with God, and they want to fill it. So they go chasing crystals and New Age stuff and other religions. And so even they have a desire to get to know God and to to pray. But actually they find it difficult, and we find it difficult when we're first saved. And we go through a period where we have to apply some discipline to ourselves. And if we do that, we end up in a point where prayer becomes a delight. Now, when we looked at the discipline side of it, we we looked again and we found three things that Jesus did that we can learn from. He took the time and set it aside for prayer. Often we read he got up early in the morning and went and prayed. You know, there's something about it. It's no good reading books about prayer. That doesn't actually change us. It may convict us, but we actually have to do something about it. Prayer is something we need to get on with, and we need to make it part of our lifestyle. The Bible talks about praying without ceasing. But what we find is like anything else in our lives. If we don't set aside the time to pray... We don't do it. We looked at the fact you need to find the right location, the right place to pray. And Jesus again showed us the importance of that. It said he often went out on his own. He often went to the Garden of Gethsemane or to the Mount of Olives. Have you found the right place to pray? And then we need to learn the way to pray. In 
1 Corinthians 14, it talks about there being two basic ways of praying. It talks about praying with the Spirit and praying with understanding. And Paul is very clear. He says, I will do both of these. I will pray in my spirit, but I will pray with my mind as well. And what we're going to do over the next few times that I preach is we're going to look at what we can learn from the Lord's Prayer about how we can pray with our minds. But there are other things you can pray. You can pray just the Word of God, the promises that He speaks out to you. You can pray other biblical prayers like Jabez or Moses' prayer is a good one when he said, show me your glory, Lord. There's Paul's prayers at the beginning of Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. But actually, we're just going to look at what we can learn from the Lord's Prayer. If you want to turn in your Bibles, I'm going to read from Matthew 6, and I'm starting at verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting but only to the Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This morning we're just going to look at the first phrase of that prayer. And one of the things we talk about is, I talked about two weeks ago, was that is a prayer we all know. But actually... I want to challenge you. When did you last pray it rather than recite it? 
When did you last give meaning to those words and look at them and try it through? The trouble is we're taught at school, aren't we? It is something we recite. In the parallel passage of scripture in Luke, it's Luke 11, it says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just like John taught his disciples. That's what God wants to do. He wants to teach us to pray. And Jesus replied, When you pray, say. Now, if Jesus, our Saviour, the very Son of God, took the time to teach us how to pray, then doesn't it just deserve our attention that we look at it and follow it? It's not a prayer to just be mindlessly repeated. He was teaching his disciples just like a rabbi would. He was giving them an outline of the themes he felt they should be focusing on in their prayer life. And the first thing he taught them to say was, Father. And then he wanted them to bring praise with, hallowed be your name. He wanted them to declare the kingdom and the kingdom purposes. Your kingdom come. Your will be done just like it is in heaven. He knew they needed to pray even for their very provision. Give us today our daily bread. He knew they needed to pray for pardon and forgiveness both for themselves and for others. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. They needed to pray for protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then, in some of the manuscripts, it ends in praise again. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Now I think if we spent more time focusing on our prayer life and on the model in this prayer, focusing on God's name and his glory, focusing on the kingdom purposes on this earth, upon his provision, his pardon, his protection and his praise, our prayer life would be totally different. You know, I think if I use that as a model, I could pray for more than two minutes. Do you agree? It could revolutionise our prayer life. The trouble is, praying is much like other areas in our life. It's a bit like going out for a walk. It's much easier if you know where you're heading before you set off. Otherwise, you don't get there. But saying that this gives us a model to pray doesn't mean it has to be predictable. You don't have to use the same words every day. You can spend more time on one bit and less time on another as you feel God leads you. What it is, 
is a framework to guide you so you know where you are heading before you set out. So when you don't know what to pray, this prayer suggests we start by looking at God's fatherhood and then move on to praise. The mistake we often make is we start with the list of what we need, all too aware of our sins. But this prayer says, don't start there. Don't start there. Start with just coming to God as your Father and praise his name. That framework, if we pray it, will enable us to double our prayer life. So where do we start? In both accounts of this prayer, both in Luke and in Matthew, it starts the same way. In Luke, the NIV simply says, Father. Matthew unpacks it just a little more. He says, Our Father in heaven. It would be so easy to just gloss over that phrase and think that's like the dear John at the beginning of a letter. But actually, it's the start of our prayer life because prayer is about relationship with God. Without relationship, prayer becomes something which is legalistic and ritualistic. And so we need, at this early stage, to embrace the truth of that simple word. Father. God has brought us into relationship with himself. It's a simple truth. But it is one that is very, very deep. It's one that's awesome when you start to unpack it. And it's at the very heart of our faith. If you look at Jesus' ministry and look at what he taught throughout his ministry, there were two things he taught more than anything else. He taught about the kingdom and he taught about his father. Christianity is not just about forgiveness, as we tend to sometimes think. The reason our Our salvation is tied up with forgiveness is that is necessary to bring us into right relationship with the Father. It's necessary to put us on a right standing before God. And although that is a wonderful thing, that is not the end goal. It's not what God had in mind at the beginning. God had to do that to put us in a position of right standing with him so that we can enjoy a father-son relationship with him. And that relationship will endure for all time. Salvation isn't the end point. It's the means of bringing us out of the slavery of the world into sonship 
The whole Christian message could be summed up in that one word, Father. Knowing God as our Father. So having found the time and the place to pray, God wants to draw us into a time of intimacy with him. That's why we need to start off by recognising God as Father. Our Father. In that phrase, the Our Father talks of God's fatherhood for us. And the In Heaven tells us something of his presence. We need to grow in our knowledge of that. In 1 John 3, 1, it says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Listen to that again. How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. 1 John 3, 1. Have you ever seen the film The Parent Trap? I think there's a new version, there's an old version. Um, It's about two identical twins, separated at birth. One lives with the father, one lives with the mother who was separated. But they meet at a summer camp and they find out their sisters and they plot. And part of that plot is to switch places so that they get to meet their other parent. And there's a clip in that film where the girl who's always lived with her mother goes to meet her father. And there's something in that film about the response when she sees her dad. She just keeps repeating that single word, dad. In Galatians 4 verse 6 it says, Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our heart. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. It's the natural cry of our hearts. Abba, Father. The film The Parent Trap probably doesn't give a good picture in other ways of what fatherhood is about because it shows a father who hasn't had a relationship with his daughter. He's abandoned her. But the Bible presents a totally different picture. We have a story of a son who goes away. We call it the story of the prodigal son, but I think it's misnamed. He goes away from his father. He's in the wrong. But when you read towards the end of that story, the picture you see is when he starts to come back, it's not one of someone who isn't recognised or seen. It says the father saw him coming when he was a long way off 
and saw him coming when he was a long way off. He was outside looking for him. I think that story should be called the story of the loving father. He never gave up on his son. His son was always on his mind, day after day. And do you know what? The truth is, you are always on your father's mind. Ephesians 1 shows us that God thought about you and planned for you long before you thought about him. It says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. He had a plan. He had a plan for you. He took pleasure in thinking about you. And because of that, he gave you the promise of his spirit. And he's promised that he will perfect us to be just like his son, Jesus. You know, it was God who took the initiative with every one of us. So when it comes to prayer, the fundamental thing is knowing the Father. Now, some of us struggle with that because we've had dysfunctional families. We have fathers who weren't loving towards us. If that's the case, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to open up scripture to us to give us a fresh revelation of what fatherhood is about. Because God is our perfect heavenly father. We're his children. I am one of his children. And I have a tremendous privilege that comes with it. Because I am one of his children, I can enter into his presence. It's it's about being part of the family. We have a God who is the king of the universe. He was the creator of everything that exists. He is perfect. Yet he invites us to come into his presence any time. Any day, any hour, just when we want to. Prayer is a privilege. But often, when we start praying, we get distracted and we start to feel guilt instead of that pleasure. We should feel pleasure coming into God's presence, but we feel guilt. We need to see that we have the right through the blood of Jesus to come into God's presence. It's 
says in Hebrews 10, verse 19 onwards. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. It's Old Testament temple language. It's a picture of the Old Testament temple where you had the outer court, the court of the temple, the temple itself, and then inside the temple, the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was only entered one day a year by the great high priest. And he'd go in to make a sacrifice that one day a year for the sins of the people. And he went in with such fear and trepidation They tied ropes around him and put bells on the hems of his garment. The bells were there so they could tell whether he was moving or not. Because if he was so overcome by the presence of God that he died, they wanted to be able to pull him out. Doesn't the thought excite you that here was a situation that one day a year someone could walk into the Holy of Holies trembling to give a sacrifice for the sins of the nation. Yet we can walk in without that fear any day we wish. If it doesn't excite you, You need to ask God to give you a fresh revelation of that. Because it should. The priest could only enter on the basis of the blood that he carried. If he didn't, he would die. And that's what we call a foreshadowing of what was to follow. And if you read through Hebrews, it explains how those elements in that ritual point the way to Jesus who would come and be our great high priest. But now, because he shed his blood, all of us in Christ can enter boldly. That's what that passage in Hebrews 10 says. We can enter boldly. We have a right of access. It says we have confidence to enter the most holy place. Any time, any day, we can say, Father, and walk into his presence. We can enter his courts with praise. Jesus has made the way. Once and for all. Not just one day a year. When Jesus died, the veil in the temple was torn from the very top to the bottom. And that symbolises our relationship with God being restored. There is no barrier. If Christ made that way open to us, 
We have a duty to enter in. We don't enter though by willpower. We don't enter by energy. We don't even enter by perseverance. We enter very simply by following Christ who made that way possible to the very throne room of God. And the other thing is, it's no longer a throne of judgment. It's now a throne of grace. So we can enter into the throne room of grace of our God. If you read on in Hebrews 10 verse 21 onwards, Sorry, verse, uh, sorry, Hebrews 4, verse 16. It says, Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And then in Hebrews 10, 21 onwards. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water when we pray let's go right into the presence of God let's be fully trusting of him when we come together to pray we don't need time to warm up we can walk straight in to the presence of God. Christ has made the way. We can fully know God's fatherhood and his very presence. And we have a duty to enter in. So what does this teach us about prayer? My Father, how good it is to be able to come into your presence every day without worry or fear. As I draw near to you, draw near to me as you've promised. Fill me again with your all-sustaining power. Let me feel your presence with me as I go throughout the day. Thank you for being my father. Thank you for everything that it cost you. The death of one of your sons. Help me to come into your presence fully. Without fear. Let me walk in my inheritance. When I'm stopped from coming to you by doubt or fear, encourage me. Take me further in my relationship with you. Let me feel your love for me today. Your care. Your protection. Teach me more about what your fatherhood means to me. 
that I might love you more. That simple phrase, our Father, who art in heaven, can take us to the very throne room of God and open up our prayer life ready for everything that follows. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.